Beloved, if you have your Bible with you today, let's turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. Um, I woke up this morning when I was going through the scriptures. Uh, again, I was like, it seems like ages since I preached last. I couldn't even remember where I'd been preaching from. I had to go look it up, even though I had done it through this week. It just felt foreign to me. But uh, it's sitting well, so we're all good. But it just feels strange to be in the pulpit again. Beloved, let's turn. We're going to read from verse 19 down to the end of the chapter. I'm not going to preach all those, of course, but we're going to read it in its context. Refresh our minds. Refocus our hearts. Let me read it to you. Again, I'm reading from the Spurgeon Bible, the Christian Standard Bible. It's the standard Bible of Christian people everywhere, apparently. Therefore, brothers and sisters... Since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water, Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. And let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works. Do not neglect to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other as all the more as you see that day approaching. For if we deliberately go on sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire about to consume the adversaries. Anyone who disregarded the law of Moses died without mercy, based on the testimony of two or three witnesses. A much more worse punishment do you think one will deserve who has trampled on the Son of God, who has regarded as profane the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know the one who has said, Vengeance belongs to me, I will repay. And again, The Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Of the living God, excuse me. Remember the earlier days when, after you have been enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to taunts and afflictions. And other times you were the companions of those who were treated that way. For you sympathized with the prisoners and accepted with joy the confiscation of your possessions. Because you know that you yourselves have a better and enduring possession. So don't throw away your confidence which has a great reward. For you need endurance. So that after you have done God's will, you may receive that which was promised. For yet in a little while, the coming one will come and not delay. 
but my righteous one will live by faith. And if he draws back, I will have no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and are saved. Amen. Amen. We have entered into the fifth of the exhortations, the fifth of the uh, therefores written by the writer of the Hebrews. And he's exhorting the heroes. He's just given them a, a, a teaching part about the inefficiency or the, the inability of animal sacrifices to cleanse the heart from sin and the sufficiency or the supremacy of the sacrifice of Christ to cleanse us from sin. That it is that sacrifice and that sacrifice alone that brings us into the presence of God. We remember that in the light of the context in which the, the letter, sermonette, the writing was written. That there are those among the Hebrew people that are beginning to draw back. Not deny Christ, but begin to conform back to the culture from which they came from. There was the temple sacrifices were still going on. The holy days were still being held among the Jewish people. The Passover was still being held. The family tradition of everybody going up to the temple to offer up sacrifices for the cleansing of sin was still being held. And there was great pressure set upon the believers in Jesus Christ who now accepted that Jesus is my sacrifice and I have no longer need for sacrifices. That has ended. Everything has been fulfilled in Jesus. But the unbelieving Jews still caught in their own, their own rituals, their own traditions, keep doing these things. We know them as the Judaizers or those Christianized Jews. And so the, there is a beginning of a pressure being put upon these Christian Jews. And some of them, sadly, are beginning to pull back. Some of them are beginning to reconform to their old ways, just for the sake of a quiet life, because they don't want to offend Mumumufa, because they don't want to offend their brother or their sister, because perhaps they don't want to endure persecution or whatever. He tells us in verse 19 down to verse 25 of the privileges, the rights, the obligations of what it means to be a Christian, to be one who has been washed clean. We remember those. That we have the right to draw close to Jesus Christ. We have the, the obligation to hold on to that which the, was promised. And that we are to provoke one another to good works. But now in today's text, we're looking for 26 all the way to the end of the chapter, more or less. He gives us a solemn warning. He's speaking to the Jews, the Holy Spirit speaking to the Jews of that time. To those three categories, the believing Jews, those who have professed faith but are nominal. And to those who are unbelieving Jews. He's now warning them. The consequences of not following through. And this is very clear through in verse 26. If we deliberately go, go on sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth. 
It's a warning against what we would call apostasy, the falling away. This doesn't mean that you lose your faith or that you reject Jesus, that you are a born again person who then turns away and somehow in some way loses your faith. This is about a warning to those who have made a profession of faith. They have, in some sense, in their mind, recognized this is right, this is true. But yet in their hearts, they are still absent. There is not a, a, a giving wholly of yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. Think of Judas. Judas was the greatest example of what it means to be an apostate. Here was Judas, a man who had spent three years together with Jesus. He had seen the miracles. He had been part of the ministry. He knew the ins and outs. He knew Jesus intimately and was probably very convinced in his head that Jesus was the Messiah But yet his heart was full of the world, full of greed, as it were. Because when it came to the opportunity to sell Jesus out, to look for his own interests, he didn't hesitate. He went and tried to negotiate a deal with the high priests, with the religious system. If I give you Jesus, what will you give me? And he put his own interests above Christ's interests. We see that he fell away. The word apostate or to fall away is an interesting word. I, I think it's a, it, it conjures a wrong impression in our minds. It's almost like you, know, you slip on a banana skin and suddenly you just fall away. To backslide is another idea. And it's the idea of I was once really religious. I was once close with Jesus. But after a time, I have slowly, slowly slid back. Like if you're trying to uh, walk down or walk up an icy slope. Have you ever tried to do that? You know, when you go poking with the kids. And you, you try and climb up the hill and whoop. That happens to me all the time because I'm as graceful as a baby deer. But I think the idea of, of falling away is, is a misnomer. It's not that you suddenly, accidentally just whoop, fall. But it's that we deliberately, remember it says here in verse 19, we deliberately go on sinning. These people have made a profession of Jesus Christ. But yet there is a Christlessness in their life. We're not talking about amoral people, people who are thieves and um, murderers. And we're talking about religious people. We're talking about the outwardly good people. We're not talking about people who go on deliberately sinning in the, you know in a an outward sense. You know the the worst of the worst. We're talking about people who refuse to give Jesus his due. Their hearts. They secretly, quietly inside are pursuing other things. Now if you think about this in the light of the the parable of the soil stroke sower. Do you remember that? Where Jesus talked about the, 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 the man sowing seed falls in one ground. The bird on the path, the, bird, the birds come, take it away. The other one falls in the, um, the rocky ground. Grows up, sun shines, dies. Third one falls, throws it among the thorns and the thistles. Grows up, 
the thistles choke the life out of it, it dies. And the fourth one, he sows the seed, it falls in the good ground, and from the good ground, it provides a good crop. And Jesus gives us the interpretation of that. The seed that falls upon the, the path, the birds of the air, it's those whose heart is hard, and Satan comes and steals the word from them, doesn't even touch them. The next one, and this, the rocky ground. Those who hear the word receive it with joy and respond instantaneously. Woohoo! This is awesome, brilliant. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank God. And yet, when persecution comes, when trial comes, when the time comes to be tested, their confession of faith disappears as quickly as it came up. They're gone. And indeed, the Bible demonstrates that those kind of people are normally the ones who flip and become the joint signs with the persecutors. Think of the crowd that on one at the beginning of the week were crying out, Behold comes the king, Hosanna, Hosanna, the coming of the king, Jesus entering in Jerusalem. They were worshipping him and praising him. Blessed is the, he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the whole city reverberated with the praise of Jesus. And yet, the next week, when he's standing before Pilate, the very same people are chanting, crucify him, crucify him, like at a football ground. They slipped immediately because there was no substance in their heart. They saw what it, what it cost to follow Jesus, to be a, associated with them, and they wanted to distance themselves as much as possible. And then we have the third one, which... The seed that was thrown amongst the thistles and the thorns in the ditch that grows up. Jesus tells us that those thistles and thorns represent the, the stresses, the strains, the temptations of this life. The person is more interested in the things of this life than they are the things of the kingdom. Their hearts are set upon this world. The gain that they can get. The pleasures that they can experience. And all of those interests choke the life out of their eternal life. It doesn't get purchased on them. And it dies. It withers and dies. And they never gain maturity in their faith. Because they're not really saved. And then the fourth one, of course. The seed that falls upon the, the good ground. The ground that has been prepared. The plied and all the rocks taken out. And it's received and it grows. But here the warning is to those who have heard the news about Jesus Christ. Have accepted it. Have responded in some sense. And yet there is a deliberate willful unbelief. They refuse to conform their lives to the pattern of his word. Again, not that they're immoral. Not that they're bad people. But there is a reluctance to bow the knee to Jesus, to conform to his pattern, his way of doing things. They are living a Christless Christianity. They reduce it down to being the 11th commandment. Remember the 11th commandment? Thou shalt be snell. They reduce it down to that. Well, my Christian life is, is just about me being good. Snell. Presentable. 
I know many wonderful nominal believers who are the nicest people you'll ever meet. I mean, they are, they make me look terrible, and I am a terrible person, we all know that, but they are just wonderfully nice, just trave little, oh, oh, and they'll ask you all these small questions, oh, so how are you doing, and small talk and lovely and everything else, and they're wonderful, nice people, but their Christianity, the expression of their godliness has an outward extent but lacks any inward reality. They have no relationship to Jesus, no life. They might go to church on a Sunday, but throughout the rest of the week, God is absent from their reality. And here the warning is about those who deliberately go on sinning. In this context, one of the, the I was going to say chronicles, that's not what I meant, commentaries that I read this week pointed to the fact that there were people among the groups that he was talking to, the three groups, who were going back into the old system. And this guy points out, if you conform back to the old life, as they were, temple worship, synagogue attendance, and all these kind of things, and just leaving the, the congregation of believers and joining together with the congregation of unbelievers, the synagogue of Satan, as Paul, or no, John calls it, sorry. That is a deliberate act where you're distancing yourself from the people of God and you are, even though you know in your heart and your mind that this is what you should be doing, you refuse to do it because you do not want to pay the cost. It's a warning. And he, he goes on in the part B of that verse. There no longer remains a sacrifice of sins. If you reject Jesus as your sacrifice, what sacrifice then are you going to have that's acceptable before God? When you stand before God on that last day, who will be your covering? Who will, be, who will be your sacrifice, your atonement? Where are you going to get that atonement from? Well, it's your own good deeds, the Christ of your own making. The writer here demonstrates quite clearly that you'll have none. There is no other. There remains no more sacrifice. If you reject the sacrifice that has been made on your behalf, there is no other sacrifice. And this is the danger of living deliberately in opposition to the word of God. Of raising up what you think is right rather than what God has said. And then he says, there is no, there is no sacrifice, but all there is is a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of fire that will consume those who are against him. That's against Christ. That is the danger. That is the cost of falling away, of deliberately turning from Jesus. Now the act of turning from Jesus, the act of falling away, the act of backsliding, when it happens, it might appear to happen suddenly, but really it takes, it can take weeks, months or years to manifest itself. I, I've told the story before of when Sarah and I were in Bible college, we had a very good friend, a dear brother who was probably the, the greatest evangelist I'd ever met. 
He had this way about him that he just, whoever he was with, he, he could just share the gospel. And people seemingly listened. And, and he went on to be a missionary. And, uh, and I really admired him. I really admired him. I enjoyed his energy. I enjoyed his, his drive. I, I, he was very knowledgeable and he could talk really well. And I, there were indications, things that I noticed right away when we met him. But I, I just kind of let them slide. He had a fascination with money. There was a, it was a, I don't know, money was a big thing for him. S- support was a big thing for him. Financial support. And he was a wheeler dealer in the sense that he had manipulated the circumstances that he was receiving full financial support from three different churches and a missionary organization. That's like having three full-time jobs as well as getting everything covered. And not one of the other churches or missionary organizations knew about each other. He manipulated the system. Ridiculous. There was a... Another indication was perhaps he, he was too comfortable in the company of other women. Of women, not other women, of women. He was a bit of a flirt. All these things kind of indicated to us, to me at least. But then I just let them go. I thought, oh. That's just who he is. He's just one of those kind of... You have to take the good and the bad. Uh, he went off in the mission field and Sarah and I moved here. We lost contact until a few years later. Uh, I reached out to him. And I found that he'd given up the mission field. He'd given it all up. He had gone to work on the oil rigs. It was no longer... Walking in the faith. This, again, this guy was tipped to be like, I asked him what happened and he blocked me on Facebook, you know. Sent him a messenger. What happened, brother? What what happened? Blocked. And then I saw his pictures on Facebook uh, where he was in a a casino in Chicago. Not Chicago. The city begins to see, I can't remember, in America. And... uh, He's sitting with a big brandy glass and cigars. He's obviously drunk with a big pile of chips in front of him. He'd fallen away. He'd turned away from Christ. He denied Christ to seek after the things of the world. It was not an immediate turning away. It took years to happen. But those Little indications, those little green sprouts that were, I saw when we were in college together, that, that over-fascination and impropriety with money, that he was very fast and loose, those things then developed into a lifestyle that drew him away from Christ. And it came to a point where he chose these things over Jesus. That Jesus was getting in his way of being able to have them. And he fell away. And as far as I know, still today, he's, he's not in the fifth day. He goes to church. He can talk a good game. His father-in-law is the pastor of a mega church in Ireland. And he'll, he still goes there. But there's an absence, a lack of reality to his faith. He fell away. And now he'll, he, as far as I saw him in a, he came to mind the other week. I saw him in a chat group on, from an Irish Christian chat, chat group and, uh, on Facebook where he was talking about 
the errors of, of Calvinism and the errors of, of Armenianism and, and whatever else and just nonsense. But he fell away. He deliberately chose the things of this world rather than the things of the kingdom. And he was receiving more gratification in doing these things that made him feel good. And he fell away. And now his life is hopeless. It says here in verse 28, In the Old Testament, in the old way, if anyone disregarded the law of Moses, he died immediately on the word of two or three witnesses. That's how it was in the old system. If you conducted your way yourself in a way outside the law of Moses, that which God had given Moses to orchestrate and to direct the people of God in the Old Testament, they were immediately executed. If you were found guilty without reason of doubt, you had done this caught red-handed, as we say in Ireland, you were to be put to death. And he, he says here in verse 29, how much more then are we to expect quick and immediate punishment for one who has trampled upon the sacrifice of Christ. If we live our lives in such a way as we outwardly say we believe, but inwardly there's an absence. We go our own way. We, we put our own lifestyle ahead of Christ's demands and obligations and upon us. Do you think you will escape judgment? Do you think you will get away with it? Do you think that nobody sees? Nobody knows? Don't fool yourself. Don't think you can get away with it. As people were judged in the old, they will be in the new. Here, it's a threefold uh, insult, as we might say, against the Son, against the Father, and against the Spirit of grace. God says, vengeance belongs to him. I will repay. If you set yourself up as an enemy of God, if you bring an idea of hypocrisy, outward but lacking the inward don't think you'll get away with it. God here has said he will repay in kind. We're not talking about weak believers. Please believe, beloved, beloved. All of us at some point in our Christian lives are faithful or unfaithful. All of us are strong at some point and weak in others. All of us or more committed to Christ and then less committed at some point. It is part of the journey of the Christian life. That is why it is grace. We're not talking about believers who are weak in their faith and perhaps participating in disobedience for a time. We are talking about those who know what God requires of them and yet actively Say no thank you. A deliberate act of, of 
can't remember the word. Uh, it just went completely in my mind. Disobedience. Thank you. Thank you very much, Daniel. A deliberate act of disobedience. Willful disobedience. Do you remember when we preached through the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, and we saw continually that the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians, the, the majority of the people of Israel, they remained willful in their disbelief. They knew that Jesus was the Messiah. They recognized it. Remember, Nicodemus came to Jesus by night and he said, we know that you are who you are because nobody can do the things that you're doing unless God was with them. They knew that Jesus was the Messiah, yet they willfully chose to be disobedient. That's who we're talking about here and now. Those who know the truth, yet choose not to believe. Choose to live their own lives in their own heart, to be their own saviour, to be their own king, to represent themselves before God, to disagree with the Almighty. They put themselves first. So beloved, please don't think that I'm saying that just because you haven't been faithful this week, because you've maybe stumbled and fell, because perhaps you're not where you should be in your Christian life, that God is standing with a big stick going to beat you, there is grace. We're talking about those who live in a consistent pattern of unbelief, of willful unbelief, of willful disobedience. God will judge his people. And the sad thing about apostates, about, about those who are falling away or, or choose to fall away is that they're only ever found in the church. You don't find apostates outside the church. You only find them in the church. The goats and the sheep. The church today is full of apostates. Not necessarily our church, but the church at large Full of people who know the things that they should be doing. Know that Jesus Christ is real and true. But because of cultural preferences, they choose to willfully not obey God. They choose willfully to close their eyes and ignore the righteousness or the lack of righteousness. And they go their own way. Do you remember when Jesus gave that? It wasn't really a parable. It was more a prophecy. He said on the last day, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord. He said, who are you? Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Those who knew what was required of them but refused to do what was required of them into hell, really. The fire Prepare for the devil and his angels. And they'll say, but Lord, did we not do this and this and that and this? And they bring out all their good deeds, their justifications, why they are right. Depart from me. I never knew you. I never knew you. And it's to those people that the Holy Spirit through the writer to the Jews and down through the ages to you and to me right now is speaking. And it is a warning to us. Let none of us ever think that we're so safe, we're so secure, that we should be vigilant upon our own hearts. We should look at our own behavior and see if there is indications. Is my faith a true faith or am I just 
a nominal believer? Am I just one who has nodded my head and shook my heart? I do things simply because of the opinion of people around me. I'm more, I care more about what you say than what he says. I'm more afraid of what they say than what he says. When the Bible says that God shall repay. The Bible says again, and Paul says in the, the, the letter to the Galatians, For God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows he shall reap. If he sows to the Spirit, of the Spirit he shall reap everlasting life. But if he sows to the flesh, from the flesh he will reap death. God gives back. We're told in verse 31, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I remember once when I was very, very young, very young and handsome, long time ago, I worked in a community for mentally handicapped people. And uh, there were five houses and I lived in one of the, worked in one of the houses. And there was a little Catholic woman, woman Catholic woman who was the chef, little tiny woman, full of energy. She reminded me of a mouse, big ears and big teeth, but uh, that's just that's what she looked like. Yeah. And she had her chef outfit on, and big ears and a teeth and a few whiskers. And, um, and I would have conversations with her about the faith. And she said to me, I have it all worked out, son. I have to do the Irishness, it comes out, sorry, I apologize. I have it all worked out. I just have to make sure that I don't die, get hit by a bus, or get struck by lightning or something. Uh, just, and then on my deathbed, I'll pray the prayer, Oh Lord Jesus, I know that I have sinned. Please forgive me for my sin and come into my heart. And, uh, and then he has to save me, because I asked him. So therefore, you know, and she's like, she, she said it as if she discovered a loophole, you know, <laughs> Some sort of, you know, I've read the fine print and I know what to do. And I said, you foolish lady, don't you understand that God may be in this moment offering you salvation to come. And yet you in your refusal saying, no, 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 no. He might say, okay, okay, okay. And the door might close because the Bible says the Spirit of God will not always strive with man. God will not always ask. It is at his invitation. When he says come, you are to come. And if you say no, there may may not be a second chance. There may not be an open door. Judgment may fall upon you. We cannot be foolish into thinking that God is a big softy in heaven. A big lovey-dovey kind of guy. You know, go, oh, you know God. He's just lovely. He just, oh, he's, he's going to be big hugs and, and he's just going to be nice. He's going to let you in. He can't say no to you. It's one of these big pushover. If you're not read, the Bible says, God is love. How can he be angry with me? Look at me, I'm, I'm so nice. We have this picture of ourselves as super fluffy, lovely people who deserve goodness. I'm not a murderer. I've never killed anyone. I've never stolen anything of great significance. 
You know? I think I deserve heaven. Yet the Bible says if you reject the Lord Jesus Christ, He who is the sacrifice given on your behalf to cover all of your sins, to pay the debt that you owe, you have no sacrifice. You have no payment of debt. You have no appropriation, satisfaction. We are warned about this falling away. We are warned about this deliberate disobedience, this putting away of Christ and this raising up of self. Verse 32, he gives us the remedy of how to guard ourselves from a falling away. Again, one of the commentaries here is that once again, the writer shifts his attention to a secondary group or the, 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 we say the first group, the, the group who belong to Christ and are believers, but are perhaps are being influenced by the nominals, by those who are drawing back. And even the believers are being pulled back by this big group of nominal believers. And so he's writing them and he says to them, Remember the earlier days. Remember how it was when you first came to, the, to faith in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what you endured, what you went through. In the midst of your passion, in the midst of your first love. And he lists things. Struggles and sufferings. Taunts and afflictions. Sometimes... You were the companions of those. You yourself didn't uh, suffer those things, but you stood with those who did. I've used this illustration in the past. Uh, I once went for a walk in the forest, walked too far, was tired, felt myself, oh, I don't want to walk. It was during winter time, lots of snow. I cannot, I cannot walk all that way back. And I knew there was a shortcut across the fields and I thought to myself, I'll, the snow doesn't look that deep. The snow doesn't look that deep. I'll just cut across the fields because it was out in the forest, there was a field. Instead of walking all the way around, I thought I'll just walk through this. It'll only keep me five minutes or so. Oh, it was a mistake. I remember after 45 minutes of walking this, what I thought would take me five minutes, I thought to myself, oh my goodness, I cannot do this. My legs were burning. My, there was burning in my chest. I was going to have a heart attack because the snow was like waist deep. And I thought to myself, I'm going to go back. And I turned round and I saw the, you know, the path you make as you, as you walk through deep snow. And I saw how long it was. And then I turned round again, looked in front of me and I thought, the distance behind is much greater than the distance in front. So if I walk that way, then I still have to walk all the way around again. And it was a great motivation to keep going forward. <laughs> you know, I am not going to walk all that way back and then all the way around the field. Sometimes to be motivated to go forward, to keep on going, we must look back and see what we've gone through, what we've endured, how far we have come. It's a great encouragement to keep on going. We remember those, those things that we have gone through. 
You know, I, I, I am a very short-memory person. I, I forget things really quickly. I choose to forget things. You know, uh, I, I, I have so much experiences in my life that it's very difficult. And then, just recently, I was talking with someone about the faith and I shared with them some of the experiences that I had when I was a young man. How when I was doing evangelism in a Roman Catholic area in Ireland. And we had the Jesus bus. And I was with half our, most of our team, not a half. Most of our team was off doing a kids camp. And I was on the bus with two American girls. And in the distance we saw this group of teenagers coming up the hill towards the Jesus bus. We had a big bus with Jesus written on the side of it. And we would drive it into an area. We would do outreach and hand out tracks and kids camps. And we would share the gospel with lots of people. And at the head of this big mob of teenagers, there were three men dressed in army outfits. With balaclavas on. And their hats in their hands, they had guns. I can't remember what the guns were. I remember one was a rifle, one was a shotgun, and one was some sort of automatic gun. I don't know what the kind of... And they marched up. And they stood in front of the bus, and they pointed the guns at the, at, the, at the bus, and all the kids were behind them. And the two American girls were screaming and threw themselves. One was called Angel. I know Americans, but they're strange names. And uh, threw themselves on the floor. And uh, I remember at the time being filled with indignation. You know, like, holy anger possessed me. I was like, little Kyle swole up like a puffer fish. <laughs> you know, I opened the bus doors and stood on top of the bus doors and began to preach at these three men with the guns pointing out. Because I come from that kind of area and I know that they have a code and it says that, that those men are not allowed to shoot or kill or harm Bible people. Because they considered it unlucky. And I knew this. And they didn't know that I knew this. And I began to preach at them. And they were standing there saying. In the name of the provisional IRA. We command you. And I'm started preaching at them. You know. Look in my eyes. I'm a, you'll see a man who's ready to die. For what he believes in. If I look into your eyes. Are you ready to die? I'm ready to meet my God. Are you ready to meet your God? I said, and you can see them kind of look at each other going, what? and all the kids around them began to laugh. You know, and there was like this, like, <gasps> and then they, they, they went, Hop! and they turned around and they began to march up the hill. I said, hey, I'm not done with you boys. And they began to march up the road and I began to follow them, preaching all the way, calling them to repentance. The crowd of teenagers behind me. And they marched up the road. And you could see that they weren't comfortable with me following. This wasn't going as they expected. They expected us to run away. And they got to the house that they had come out of. You, know, you think of. Have you ever seen streets in Great Britain? They have like all these houses. They're all together. like uh, Terraced houses. Not terraced houses. But they were that too. Terraced houses. All little tiny houses. All put together in a row. And they got to a certain garden. And they could tell that this is the place where they were supposed to go in and change. And they didn't want to go in. And I'm there preaching at them, calling them to repentance, telling them that their Catholicism won't save them, that their, their, their lifestyle is going to get them killed. And they turned and they walked into the garden and into the house. And I went into the, the garden. 
banged on the door and their mother opened the door and she's like, and I'm preaching and the crowd is outside. Such foolishness. But again, remembering and how that encourages and strengthens. Other times, and as I, I was sharing with this person this week, these, uh, these things that I had gone through as a Christian, as a young person, and it encourages and strengthens, and, or the costs and the difficulties that we've gone through. Sometimes you have to look back to remember why you're going forward. Then we, we move on. He says here, so, so don't throw away your confidence. Don't give up your faith in Jesus Christ. Remember, these people were beginning to pull back. They were beginning to conform once again, to become just like everybody else. To be nice, middle-class people. The embodiment of the 11th commandment. There was to be no difference between them and just the standard, ordinary person in the culture. And yet the writer, Holy Spirit through the writer, says here, don't throw away your confidence. That which makes you different than everyone else. That which sets you apart. No longer having to conform to the system of this world just to look like everyone else. I'm not saying be weird and crazy. I don't want to see Don running around Yakuza with maracas. You know, just... That's not going to happen. Don will have half the conversation if I see that happening. We're not talking about weirdness. We're talking about your confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. That he is your sufficient sacrifice. He is the only way to heaven. He is the only way to have relationship with God. The pagans, the nominals can pray all day. God will not hear them. His ears are deafened to their cry. They are an offense to him. He is not moved by them because they are outside the sacrifice of Jesus. They are, the Bible says, the wages of sin are death. They are an offense to God because they're not praying to the true and living God. They are praying to a God of their own imagination. It is Idolatry. So beloved, let us stand firm in our faith. Because the Bible says, if we do not stand firm in our faith, we will not stand at all. Yet the Bible says here, for we know that in a little while, the one who is coming will come. We know that the one who is coming will come. And will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. Faith, not feeling. I always like to make that distinction. I just don't feel like it. I don't feel as if I believe. I had that discussion with the big tall boy. Remember who came to visit us? Has gone back to the old way of life. And his complaint for the most part was, I just don't feel it. Well, I feel... That's not faith being motivated by your personal preferences of what you enjoy. The Bible says it. We know it. We believe it. We accept it. And that's the end of it. The Bible says, not, well, I just feel. I think. 
We will live by faith, not in ourselves, but in Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible warns here, if we draw back, if he draws back, we'll have no pleasure in him. Such a strong warning. Think of all those people in your life, in your history, that you have met, that you have known, who have drawn back from Christ. Not simply just stop coming to church, which is a great indication. It says in verse 24 and 25, or sorry, verse 25, do not neglect to gather together as some are in the habit of doing. That is one of the great indications of apostasy. That people stop coming to church. That people stop gathering together with other believers. That they are no longer part of a church or the church. The Bible says that God's Spirit, that God the Father, that God the Son, has no pleasure in that person that draws back. Think of all those people that we have known throughout our history. I know so many. The great majority of the people whom I have met and shared time with have drawn back. Sadly, that is the way. And again, if you take the parable of the sower, the parable of the souls, you understand that. There were three other groups that drew back. There were two in particular, the stony ground and the thorny ground. Those who professed faith and continued for a time. And yet, when it came for the time of harvest, they were found lacking. They were dead. We understand that. But then he says in verse 39... But we are not of those who draw back and are destroyed, but we are those who live, who have faith and are saved. He's talking now again to the believers and he's encouraging them. Don't be influenced by those who make nominal, uh, an outward expression of faith, but lack an inward reality and they draw back. They follow the cultural trends. They do what is best for them in their circumstances and in their situation. To avoid persecution. To benefit from their situation. They draw back from Jesus Christ. They suppress him. They no longer walk in his ways or keep his requirements. They, They live a Christless life. A godless life. Again, not an... Amoral, not not a they're prostitutes, whores, sinful murderers, bullies, whatever, 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 whatever your pick of sinfulness is. That's not the kind of godlessness we're talking about. We're talking about an absence of God in their life, an absence of Christ in them. He has no part. And that manifests itself eventually in a churchlessness. They stop gathering together with the believers. They might still claim to be Christian. They might still claim to have some knowledge of him. But the expression of their lives exposes their words and their professions to be false. Because what we are Outwardly, we are inwardly. What we are inwardly manifests itself eventually. 
outwardly. We were driving here this morning and we were listening to Vega, Radio Vega, because we are that old. My wife turns it, I listen to Helmy because it's the 80, but Sarah listens to Vega because she's that old. And they were talking about uh, the Word, there's the Word program today. And they're talking about the parables, or not parables, proverbs with snow. And there's this one that says that lies and snow, lies melt like snow. You know, that, that was a Russian one that they translated into Swedish, but all lies melt like snow, you know, eventually. And that's the truth. It may look, someone might make a profession of faith, but if it's not real, if it's not true, eventually it will melt. Eventually it will dissolve. Eventually it will show itself to be nothing. An outward expression lacking an inward reality. We must be aware, we Christians, we who are here, must be aware of the possibility of apostasy in the body of Christ. We must be aware that there is always, we always run the risk of entertaining goats rather than sheep. And that goats, as the Bible calls them, those who make a profession of faith but lack any kind of reality, they are a different animal than us. They will always seek to infiltrate the flock. There will always be them among us. Those infiltrators of Satan. Until that day, Christ separates his flock. The sheep to one side and the goats to the other. Beloved, if you know the reality of God, know and have heard and, and, and have understood the truth to these things, be afraid. Be apprehensive. Because the Bible says the Spirit of God will not always strive with man. To you and I have been given a great privilege. Great honor to hear about these truths. But if we willfully choose not to believe in them. If we turn our back upon him. God only knows if he will grant you a second audition. An opportunity. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word today. We pray, O oh God, that you would help us, Lord, that we would be fine among those who are the true and the faithful. The Lord, we would not be amongst those who are the, the unfaithful, the dishonest, the hypocrite and the liar. We ask, O oh God, that you'd open up our eyes, that you'd grant us the grace to be able to examine ourselves. <sighs> Father, we, we are weak in our faith. Lord, we who are still but children in your ways. We ask of you, help us to mature. Help us to grow strong. Lord, nourish us and strengthen us through your word and by your spirit that we might bring honor and glory to your name, that we might be steadfast and stable in our lives, that, Lord, all things that in us and about us might reflect your glory. Help us, Lord. Lord, for those who do not know you, please, Lord, impress upon their hearts the, the importance. Lord, unless you speak, unless you do the work, no man can convert another. Lord, move in their hearts, move in their minds this day. Give them no peace until they bow the knee to him who is the Prince of Peace. Lord, I do ask this for your glory and your glory alone in Jesus' precious name. Amen.